So let's jump in here. We've been taking several weeks to take a look at the narrative arc of what God is doing in the world in the story that we read in Scripture. So by way of recap, in week one, we talked about how this story is good. God is good. He's not angry with you or me or anybody in the story of scriptures. From the beginning, it was very good. And the world is not something to be escaped. It's something to be redeemed. We're not waiting for, as the old church hymn says, some glad morning when we all get to go get out of here. This is something that God is seeking to redeem right here, right now, this world. And then in week two, we talked about uh, the Hebrew word tov meod, and I encourage you to go back and listen to and watch uh, that teaching. And then in week three, we kind of backed up and said, okay, fine, you say that I am exponentially more, better, good. That's what tov meod means, fine. But there's a lot of jacked up stuff in this world, and all you need to do is take a look at the news each and every day, all of the things that are happening, all the violence, all of the racial inequality that's going on, it's just just tears the heart of God apart. Uh, and we just talked about brokenness in week three. We also talked about all of the voices that we listen to and how many of them internally in our hearts and our minds are manipulative. What does that do to us on the inside when we allow those creeping voices to enter in and we don't filter them out? And we talked about how God's call is for us to crush those insidious voices that, that really just want to derail us. Then in week four, we talked about the question of whether or not we believe God's promise is secure. And how we answer that question says a lot about how we put God on display in the world. And last week, we talked about how God steps into the breach and he does the impossible, securing his promise in a way that is completely unbelievable. He says, I know that you and me, he knows that we cannot live up to our end of the deal in this new covenant. And so he says, I'm gonna hold it up anyway, by myself, on your behalf. So today we're gonna to talk about those promises that God offers us in the midst of our lives. And what I want you to notice in the narratives of scripture is that God's promise often comes in the form of invitations. And what I mean by that is this, God says, I invite you to join me, and if you will join me, I can make you this promise. I'm not gonna tell you all the details, and I'm not gonna promise you that it's easy, but if you'll join me, I can tell you where this whole thing is headed. And I'm doing this thing in the world, and I'm looking for partners. And so we wanna examine how that goes in our lives. When God comes to us and invites us and makes us promises from our collective experience, I'd wager that it doesn't always go very well. And to take a look at this, I'd like to take a look at what God is up to in the scriptures, specifically in the Old Testament narrative along these lines. And I think a good place to start is in the book of Judges. So I'd like you to turn to Judges with me right now, and we'll pick it up from there. All right, so turn to Judges chapter 2. The writer of the book of Judges is setting up this part of the history. This comes after the Exodus. They got rescued from Egypt. They built a big tabernacle, like a, like a tent in the form of a big taber, of, of a tent in the form of a big temple. And they wander around the desert for forty years, and they finally get to this promised land. 
and they settle down and God makes them this invitation and promise. Now, what has God, God done? He has put these people, when they get into the promised land, he's put them at the crossroads of the earth, right in the middle of all the action, all the trade, where the nations travel through. And he says, I am looking to redeem the world, not just you, but the whole world through you. I promised your ancestor Abraham that through him I would bless all nations. How many is all? All, okay? And he can't do that if he places them over in some far off land away from everybody. He can only do that if he puts them right in the middle of the action. So he says, I'm going to put you right in the middle of it, and I'm inviting you to join me in redeeming the world. And so the book of Judges is about how well that works out, which doesn't happen to be very good. And hopefully, as we look at this, you'll realize that this is not just their story. It's the reason this is so powerful, and it's in the Bible in the first place, is not just to record history. It's to also invite you to examine your own history. It's an invitation to take a good, hard look at your own story. And so hopefully, when you look at this, you're like, this, just, this isn't just their cycle that they keep running back through. It's also my cycle, and there's going to be more on that to come. So I want you to start in Judges 2. We're going to start in the first verse. We're going to read a few, and then we're going to skip forward a little bit. And if you just take your Bible and start in verse 1, in chapter 2, it says, The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give to your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down the altars. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? And I have also said, I will not drive them out before you. They will become traps for you, and their gods will become snares to you. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these things to all the Israelites, the people wept aloud, and they called, called that place Bochum. There they offered sacrifices to the Lord. Then on to verse 6. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord, the Lord had done for Israel. Now you get to uh, verse 8, Joshua's son of Nun. So we got Joshua and we got Joshua's son of Nun. Who's Joshua's son of Nun? None your business. No, just kidding. It just says, Joshua... Son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 100. We're just talking about the same guy. It's just saying his, his dad's name. The servant of the Lord, he died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Herez, at the hill country, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. And this is where it gets interesting. Verse 10. After that, the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who, who, who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. 
Then, in verse 16, the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to the, their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, because this nation has violated the covenant I ordained for their ancestors and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. The Lord had allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out at once by giving them into hands of Joshua. So are you catching a theme here? Do you see this cycle? There is this cyclical nature where God's people, they seem to walk away from what they learned from their ancestors. The question is, can any of you relate to that? Anybody ever had your parents or someone older uh, than you say, hey, just so you know, this is coming in your life. And you're like, yeah, whatever. And then you look back later and you're like, oh yeah, look, hey, there's that thing that they said was coming. Um, this is our story that we just read. It's, their, it's not just their story, it's our story too. So he says, I'm looking for partners. I promised you all this stuff. And they say, yeah, 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 we're gonna do this. And then they walk away. And so they turn away from God. And then, then it's time to deal with the consequences. But then what happens is they turn around and what happens? God rescues them. The text says, then they fall back away and they, they become even more corrupt than their ancestors were. And basically it says, you violated this covenant. Well, what was that covenant? What was the invitation and the promise? God had invited their ancestors to join with him to be a part of his redemptive work in the world. He says, I want, I want everyone, the whole earth to know me and be redeemed. And then he says, if you do this, I've promised you certain things, particularly this land, that you will be a great nation. And he says, because they haven't relented, at the end it says, I'm no longer going to drive out any of the nations Joshua left when he died. And I'm going to use them to test you. I'm going to use them to test Israel to see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it. And then he says, I'm not going to do that anymore. And that's, that's the way it goes. So there's this cycle that's very obvious in the book of Judges. If you read all the way through, which I encourage you to do, there's this cycle. And here's what it is. I wanna give you this slide that you can look at right now. And you see this cycle just go over and over again. It just keeps going around. So put yourself on this cycle. We get a little complacent, we get a little lazy, and then we go through the cycle and repeat. And the question is, can you relate to this? Have you walked down this road before? Maybe you can even pinpoint exactly where you are on this cycle. And maybe some of you know where you are on this cycle. Maybe you don't know exactly where you are, but you've been around it so many times, it's kind of impossible to know how many times you've been around the merry-go-round. Yeah. 
And so what I want to do now is I want to take us, move forward a little bit through Judges, and I'll show you how this works, it works itself out. There's a bunch of stories, but we're just going to take the first one in Judges chapter 3 uh, about uh, one of the judges named Othniel. And so it says in, uh, I'll just kind of summarize this for you, but you can turn to it in your scriptures. It says in verse 7 that the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they forgot their Lord, their God, and they served the Baals and the Ashtoreths. But then what do they do? They cry out, and we can put up that cycle again as we read through this. But then they cried out to the Lord, and he raised up for them a deliverer, and then so the land had peace. What the text tells us is after the, after the deliverer comes, the land had peace for 40 years. And again, the Israelites, after that, what do they do? They do evil in the eyes of the Lord. And they took possession of the city of Palms, is what it says. You know that as Jericho. Um, and then it's like 18 years, and again, the Israelites cry out to the Lord. And it goes on and on and on and on. That's the cycle. And really what it is, is it's part of the author's mechanics that they want you to catch as you are reading the story of Judges. Now, when I was taught about this back in college, this was taught as a, the sin cycle. And if you look at it, you can see why. I want you to, I want to put that slide up for you again. Um, remember when we started this series way back several weeks ago in Genesis 1, and we talked about how God is good and he's creative and he's not angry with you. I did that because I wanted, we went through that because I wanted it to, to sink in for you. Because once you know he's not angry and that he calls you good and that he's for you and not against you, it impacts your perspective. I know it impacts mine. Here's my question. How come when I was taught this years ago, how come the only side that seemed to matter was the right side of of the diagram, my sinfulness. And this is, frankly, this is what, when people think of church, if, they, if maybe you're watching this for the first time, you're interacting with us as a church community, you're giving Jesus a shot, you're just curious, whatever. Maybe that's the only message you've ever seen. The, whole, the, the one you've received is that it's all about me being bad and wrong and all this. And we've just spent some time, a good amount of time as a church community, looking at it and going, no, God has said that we are good and he is for you and he loves you and he's, not against you and he's not mad at you but then how come we look at this cycle and we go the only side that seems to matter is the right side and my sinfulness how come we don't get to name the diagram after the other side of the picture which is god's forgiveness and his patience and his redemption and if i call this the sin cycle then it becomes a reminder of my badness and how awful I am on the inside. And it's not a reminder anymore of God's goodness. What happens when we see everything through the lens of sin and a sin cycle is now I become primarily identified as a sinner. And frankly, if you're checking us out for the first time, if you're looking at Jesus as someone that you might want to consider to orient your life around and all you've ever heard, because there are there are segments of this thing called church or Christianity that that's all they focus on is you're bad and you're evil. That's not us. 
That's not who we are, and it's not how we want to be identified, and it's not how we see ourselves in this story as a church anymore. Um, when that happens, when you see everything through the lens of sin and a sin cycle, then you primarily identify yourself as a sinner. And that flies right in the face of what we examined before, that you are created in the image of God. And I know that's what we want to believe in. Maybe you've received another narrative that you're just evil, but this, the, the story is telling us that we're not, that we're amazingly good. Uh, and if you only deal with the sin side, then you're only dealing with nothing but shame on your journey. And then shame becomes your identifier. And shame is not redemptive. And shame always condemns. It would seem to me that the New Testament speaks about condemnation routinely. What it says there, though, is there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. So I would argue that looking at this cycle and defining it and naming it by our sin would actually be anti-biblical because it doesn't tell the story that God wants to tell. And so next week, when we come back and look at this again, I want to relabel this story. In fact, if you've been paying attention in the middle of the, of the diagram that we've been putting up, it, it's not named the sin cycle. It's named something else. So you can go back and look at that and take a little more careful look at it. And that'll give you a preview about what's to come. And so I encourage you this week to remember what we've already talked through, what we've been examining, that, that you are good. Tov me'od. God is calling you to partner with him. He is looking for those who want to help him redeem the world and get in on this plan that he is that he's all about. And I want to encourage you that this cycle, there's a whole other side to it that is amazingly good. And we'll get into that next week. I'll see you next time.